Blake Richards grew up in Manhattan and thought he would follow his father's footsteps into finance. But when a job interviewer tried to pin him down on why exactly he wanted to be in that field, he realized it wasn't really for him. Instead, he's pursued technology, and more specifically, technology in healthcare. After spending time at Epic and Deloitte, he became CEO of Elucid, a non-invasive cardiac imaging company that competes against HeartFlow. But it goes beyond by quantifying plaque based on histopathology. It's an FDA-cleared tool that helps avoid invasive cath lab procedures and helps physicians identify patients who need more aggressive treatments. I'm David Williams, host of the Health Biz Podcast and president of Health Business Group, a strategy consulting firm that helps companies like Elucid develop robust growth plans. Reach out to me, dwilliams at healthbusinessgroup.com if you'd like to discuss strategy for your organization. And while you're at it, make sure to subscribe to the Health Biz Podcast. Thank you. Well, Blake Richards, CEO of Elucid, welcome to the Health Biz Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here, David. I know you're going to elucidate uh, many aspects of the company. Um, and let's start with your childhood. And what was your upbringing like? Did you have any childhood influences that still stick with you today? Sure. So I actually grew up in Manhattan, uh, which is perhaps a bit of an abnormal uh, childhood, uh, but I very much enjoyed it personally uh, and was always drawn to math and sciences. Uh, that's where I excelled. That's where I had the most interest. Pretty much loved uh, problems that had an answer, uh, yeah. that you were driving towards a, a truth that was known. Uh, but it did allow for creativity in the, in the way you went about it. Uh, and so in terms of influences, uh, I had several teachers in, in those subjects, but also my father was probably the, the biggest driving force. And so I spent a fair amount of time in his office growing up, uh, really saw how hard he worked to achieve his business success, even interned there as well. Uh, but had thought that was the career I was looking for, had yeah. considered a career in finance, uh, but it really didn't have the level of excitement that I was interested in uh, and not something I wanted to spend all of my time doing uh, for however, 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah, fair enough. Where'd you go to high school? Uh, I went to a Catholic school called Loyola. Okay, got it. So then where'd you go from uh, there once you uh, disappointed your father by uh, not going to finance? <laughs> uh, so I went to undergrad at Duke University. Uh, so I majored in economics and statistics, thought I was going that path, did the uh, necessary internships uh, at all of these firms. Uh, I'll say that during one uh, interview, I was actually asked the question at the very end of it, why I explicitly wanted a career in finance. And I gave the form answer, but when I really thought about it, I didn't have a fantastic answer for that. Uh, and I very much always enjoyed the technology aspects of finance and had always kind of found a way to be more involved in those uh, when I was at those various internships. Uh, so I realized that was really the career path I was more interested in. And on the technology side, I wanted to go into a space where technology was making the most drastic improvements and was actually helping people. Uh, and that's what led me to look into medical technology and actually brought me over to Epic Systems. Nice. So Epic is not in Manhattan. 
<laughs> Epic is very much not in Manhattan. It is in Verona, Wisconsin, uh, which is a town at that point of under 10,000 people, uh, which is about the size of a couple of blocks. Uh, I was going to say, yeah. I came from. Yeah, yeah, nice. So, so then from there, so you were at Epic. What did you then find that, you know, you're probably that person that asked you the interview question in finance probably did you a pretty good favor by really framing it like that. And then when you had the realization when you were at Epic, did, how did Epic line up with what you were um, expecting? And then where did you go from there? Well, I actually loved my time at Epic. Uh, I was there for close to five years. Uh, originally started on the revenue cycle management side. So it did combine a little bit of the finance aspects that yeah. I had previously, uh, but moved into more work, uh, more in touch with the development side, being able to then see all parts of the health system getting involved in clinical operations, being able to use strategy, being able to take and design technologies specific to the organization to enable the objectives they were seeking. Uh, and working for Epic was was great. Uh, it's kind of say, but they were the leaders in the field. They still are the leaders in the field. So being able to work with the best technology available and having the resources to innovate, to lead rather than follow, uh, it's a pretty great situation to be in. And so I eventually moved on to focus more so on patient confidentiality and compliance, mm -hmm. uh, which touched many different aspects of the healthcare organization and allowed me to be involved both in strategy, but also in R&D efforts and coming up with custom solutions for individual organizations that had very unique problems or as well adjust uh, to changing regulations or changing best practices to roll something out across all of the organizations, the several hundred uh, that Epic works with. Great. And then when did you go from Epic after that, what did you do? So from Epic, I spent a bit of time in strategy at an AI-driven healthcare startup, uh, but then I went back and earned my MBA at Columbia Business School. Back to New York, it's sort of like with uh, Ultraman, you know, he comes from the sun and then he comes down and like does all the battles and then he runs out of power and he has to go back to the sun to recharge. So he went back to Manhattan. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll, I'll say it was a welcome return. Yeah, very good. So then I show before you were CEO of Elucid, which is your current role, you were an advisor somehow. So how, how did you get involved with Elucid and what's the path been like there? No, absolutely. So uh, the founder of Elucid, Andrew Buckler, who's our chief technology officer, spent 30 years leading R&D efforts at the various large imaging companies before founding Elucid, uh, we had gotten in contact through a mutual colleague, and he had reached out to me while I was at Epic uh, and began helping him with interoperability, basically with the EMRs and PACs, basically how you need to design a software to be able to integrate. Uh, and that interoperability is necessary for deployment that's integrated into the workflow at these various uh, healthcare systems. But we had very enjoyable conversations during that time and just stayed in touch. And so as my career progressed and I saw the progression of Elucid as the technology went from its earliest prototype to what became an FDA clear product and platform that we moved really far beyond at this point, we just got along very well. And I became more involved on the business side, more involved in the operations, more involved on the finances, obviously. Uh, and started spending more and more hours a week working on elusive related tasks and i loved it and i was serving a need within the organization 
And we got to a point where uh, I had been at Deloitte for several years working as a life sciences management consultant, which is a fantastic experience and exposed yeah. to many different exciting new technologies and spaces. But we got to a point where it made sense for me to come in full time as CEO. Nice. So when we think about Elucid, I mean, any company that's that's starting up and, and, and growing needs some sort of a real problem that it's attacking. So like, what's the problem that Elucid is addressing and, and you know, what's the extent of the impact of that problem? Yeah, so we're addressing the biggest problem or at least one of the biggest problems, and that is coronary artery disease. So cardiovascular disease is the number one cause of death in all developed countries, the number one cause of disability. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily get that amount of attention and recognition sometimes. And the tools that we're using to diagnose cardiovascular disease haven't advanced as significantly as you might expect, given the impact of such a problem. So we'll call it 35 million patients each year are assessed globally for coronary artery disease, about 10 million in the US alone. So this is a big problem and people are suffering needless heart attacks and strokes that could be avoided if the diagnosis were more specific and gave the physician more information about how to treat that patient's disease specific to the individual. So I'm guessing, you know, that's where your solution focuses, but like what, what is it really? And you know, how, how does this technology work? What's different from all the other things that I hear about that are out there? Yeah, absolutely. So we're addressing two main issues at once, and I'll, I'll talk about what we're doing in the future later on. But what we're doing right now is addressing two main problems. So as you get older, as uh, your family history dictates, as your lifestyle dictates, whether you're a smoker, various reasons, plaque builds up in your arteries. And as that plaque builds, it may have the propensity to rupture, to break away from the artery wall, to stop blood flow and cause an event like a heart attack in the coronary or a stroke in the carotid. And so tools that we're using today to assess that risk are mainly based on the narrowing of the artery. So they're looking at stenosis as a proxy to say, all right, what is the amount of plaque that's built up? What is the likelihood that it will rupture? But not all stenoses are built the same. Some plaques are stable, unlikely to rupture. Other plaques are unstable or vulnerable and have that greater propensity. And that really depends on the plaque type. What we've developed is the only FDA cleared software that is able to characterize plaque as though it were being looked at by a pathologist under microscope. So what we've actually done is use machine intelligence, taking paired samples of CTAs, followed by tissue prospectively collected from patients that has been physically characterized under microscope by pathologists and using those paired samples as the ground truth. So what we can do now is take in a new CTA, run it through these virtual tissue models, and rather than looking at just Hounsfield units, which are the black and white indications of density, but using intelligent characterization, tell you what tissue types you have. So how much lipid-rich necrotic core, how much intraplaque hemorrhage, how much calcification. And through this information, we give physicians a better understanding of what that likelihood of a plaque rupture is so they can make care decisions more specific to the patient. On top of that, we're also measuring 
flow limitation. And so this is the standard of care known as FFR. It's a measurement of ischemia that's measured in the cath lab. And typically you send a patient to the cath lab for an invasive coronary angiogram. And what they're doing is measuring that flow limitation, which is the pressure differential across the stenosis region. Basically, they're using a guide wire and they're measuring that flow limitation. And based upon that, they determine whether or not to revascularize, typically a stent. Problem is over half those trips to the cath lab don't result in revascularization. So it's an unnecessary trip for patient provider and the suboptimal use of cath lab time. By measuring this non-invasively, we can avoid those millions of unnecessary trips to the cath lab and inform a patient from one analysis, what's their likelihood of event? Is the appropriate treatment path to go to the cath lab or should this patient potentially be put on a more intensive therapeutic regimen? So it sounds like, you know, this advanced imaging that's non-invasive, that's typically done, it's, you know, looks cool and it provides some information, but it's sort of a proxy or an assumption about what's going on functionally based on, you know, based on one, one measure. And then, although you can, you can do the same sort of measurement if you take somebody to an invasive procedure, in other words, the cath lab, a lot of times that's not necessary. If it were always going to be necessary, it would be nothing, nothing special to be able to do it non-invasively because you have to do an invasive procedure anyway, if you're going to, if you're going to revascularize, but there's a lot of people that are uh, going unnecessarily and it's expensive and it's, you know, bad use of cath lab time. It's also could be dangerous uh, to the patient. You don't want to go to the cath lab if you don't. Have I understood correctly? It, exactly. I'll, I'll, I'll add one thing on top of that though, is there are patients that are in need of more intensive therapeutics or even potentially revascularization that aren't being sent to the cath lab because it's not perceived as high risk due to just the CT scan alone. So what we're able to do is not only reduce unnecessary procedures for those that don't require revascularization, but we're able to direct patients who are at higher risk to the appropriate intervention, be it more intensive therapeutics or be it that trip to the cath lab. Got it. So that's the vulnerable plaques that you referred to that someone may look like they don't have that much in terms of a blockage, but what they do have could actually be vulnerable and it could detach and they could have a heart attack or a stroke. Correct. So it could be flow limiting or it could be unstable and the physician will choose the treatment pathway based on the outcome, understanding the vulnerability of the plaque, but as well understanding the flow limitation. And we believe those two measures together are ultimately necessary to decide which course of treatment is best for each patient. Great. So you're not the only one probably to have made this realization. And although you, the founder was working on it for for three decades, there's at least one well-established competitor that does something similar to what you're describing. Are you just a kind of a me too with them or is there something special that you offer in addition or above and beyond? What we're doing that's special and we're the only ones doing this is quantifying plaque validated against histopathology. And so let me explain what that actually means. I've talked about how we've developed our software, but let's look at how other people are actually quantifying plaque. What they're doing is looking at the Hounsfield units. So you may see this in a CT scan, the relative lightness or darkness of the image. And they're using that as a proxy to try to estimate which plaque types are stable versus unstable. 
And so they characterize plaque as low attenuation plaque or non-calcified plaque or calcified plaque. But these are measurements that only exist in imaging. They don't exist in biology. Their truth standard is a human eye versus our truth standard, which is actual tissue. And so what's interesting to note, though, is the tissue types that we're characterizing, lipid-rich necrotic core and intraplaque hemorrhage, they're heterogeneous in nature. What that means is they do not have a uniform density, so it's impossible to measure them using Hounsfield units because they fall into multiple different buckets that would be categorized there. So instead, tools that are looking at Hounsfield units are creating another proxy for estimating the tissue type. And it may be better than stenosis, but it doesn't get down to the actual biology and there's no way to truly validate the accuracy. So on the FFR side, we are fast following a competitor, but on the plaque side, we are blazing the trail as we are the only ones that have done this. And, and trust me, it took a very, very long time to develop this technology, to protect it with the IP, to pull in all of these clinical specimens and to even come up with tools for how to validate the accuracy. Uh, this was a lifelong project. So you mentioned, I think you mentioned that there's a prospective uh, samples that are taken and then use that. Is, I, is, did I understand that right? That you have to take some sample from the patient and that could have some downside depending on what you're doing. What's involved in that? Yeah, so these are patients that had a CTA scheduled followed by a uh, invasive surgical intervention in which we actually remove tissue. So this took several years and multiple sites for us to collect. Once that tissue is removed, it's basically cut up into slices and put on slides and then looked at under microscope by three independent pathologists who go about characterizing the tissue uh, according to their parameters and scales. Once that's occurred, we have to co-register it, so map it back to the image to where it actually came from on the patient. And so then what we're left with is a CT scan where we have the true tissue at each point along the vessel. That's the truth basis. And so this took many years, uh, multiple grants from the NIH, a fair amount of investment, uh, but we went through it successfully. We continue to build that database. We've prevailed with the FDA multiple times on our clearances uh, and are continuing to advance it. But we're, we're very proud of the sensitivity and specificity upon which we estimate these uh, tissue types. Got it. So that's the validation. But for a clinical patient being treated now, they don't have to have a, a tissue uh, sample taken. Is that right? Exactly. That hard work was put in ahead of time so that a new patient can come in, just take the image and run it through and we characterize it as though we had the tissue sample. It's simply untenable to take tissue during clinical care. You'd potentially cause the stroke or heart attack you're trying to prevent. So we've enabled this for the first time that you can achieve what a pathologist would do with the tissue, but from a non-invasive image. Great. Well, last question and uh, changing the subject, unless you're gonna tell me that your favorite book is about uh, tissue pathology. Uh, any books that you're, not, not necessarily business or, or scientific books, and any books that you would recommend? Books I'd recommend. Uh, I was a little late to the game in reading Shoe Dog, but I, I very, very much enjoyed that. Uh, just finished that recently. Uh, with the reduced flight travel time, I'll say my, my reading has decreased compared to where it used to be. 
but definitely recommend that. And then there's an older book uh, that I love, which I'll just throw out here called On Wings of Eagles, uh, if you've ever read that, uh, which is about a Ross Perot-funded uh, trip to try to take two jailed executives uh, out of Iran uh, yeah. while the Shah was being overthrown. Similar to Argo, but a little bit more exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that's good. Uh, Ross Perot is an interesting guy. And I had uh, a road trip once. I took off a year and traveled all around. And I, my favorite sign that I saw was a bumper sticker and said, Ross for boss. So I think he said he was going to get under the hood <laughs> and get it all done. So no, that's a, that's, a good, that's a good book. I haven't read it, but I've, uh, I've, I've heard of it. Good. Well, Blake Richards, CEO of Elucid, thank you very much for your time today and your insights on the Health Biz Podcast. It was a pleasure to speak with you. You've been listening to the Health Biz Podcast with me, David Williams, president of Health Business Group. I conduct in-depth interviews with leaders in healthcare business and policy. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite service. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe on your second and third favorite services as well. There's more good stuff to come, and you won't want to miss an episode. If your organization is seeking strategy consulting services in healthcare, check out our website, healthbusinessgroup.com.